Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and reading responsively. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted to, to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I did not know what was going to take place this morning, and I still don't know. Lord, I pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word, though, in the minutes that we have. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Lord, they're not my people. They're your people. Lord, I pray that you'd bless in the preaching, bless in the fellowship to follow. Thank you for this church. It's your church. We give you all the glory. Help us to honor you this morning, we pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Acts chapter 2, you know, my preaching, I usually like to take one verse and center on that one verse. In this case, I want to center on one word in one verse, actually one word in three verses. Verse 41, Acts 2, 41. The Bible says, Then they, then they that gladly received its word, were baptized. Verse 42, and they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, did eat their meat and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I wanted to go through another 20 verses, but we'll X them out right now. 275 times, no, I won't read the first 20 times we find that word they in this book of Acts. The third person plural of this group of people. We've been on a subject on people this year in the book of 1 Timothy, and we want to deal with the they of Acts chapter 2, how it relates to the they of, let me make my disclaimer, I have to make it this way here. Uh, this is a message specific to the membership of Harvest Baptist Church. Thank you, visitors, for being here. Guests, that you're here. I'm glad you're here, and I'm humbled by the fact that you're here this morning. And this message is not, 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 not for you per se. I'm sure there'll be something hopefully you can glean out of it. But I want to speak specifically to the membership of the they that comprises the Harvest Baptist Church in the context as, as this membership of this they as it related to the first church at this birthday at Pentecost, this first church in Jerusalem, for lack of a better analogy. And I want to deal with this subject of they. And uh, let's make our prayer here one more time here. I, I need to compose my thoughts here and just forget my introduction of outline and let the Spirit of God work in our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, once more, Lord, I'm very humbled. And Lord, you know, 
Father, I have a lot of sins. You know them far better than I do, and I know them better than anybody in this room. But Lord, one thing that's never been, I've been, never been guilty of, that is the idea that this is my church. I've always known it's your church. I know it now. I'm humbled that you would let me be the pastor. Guide my thoughts now, I pray, is from the, these lips to the ears of the hearer. Do a work of grace, we pray, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go to the, I guess, for time's sake, I have to go to the root of the matter. <laughs> I want to draw your attention to this they in the context. Peter preached at Pentecost. This is the Feast of Pentecost. This is being in Jerusalem at Pentecost would be like being at Disney World on Christmas Day. The place is packed. There's probably 100,000 hearers and within listeners within the sound of Peter's voice. He stands in, near the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, he preaches with all the power and authority, Jesus Christ having been crucified 53 days earlier and the day of Pentecost now has fully come. Peter stands up in front of 100,000 people, many that just 50 days earlier raised their hands and said, crucify him, crucify him, and mocked that Jesus was the Christ. It was this crowd that Peter preached. And he comes to the conclusion of his message in verse 36 of our chapter. If you glance at it with me. And I will not even attempt to speak as loudly as Peter was obviously speaking that day. But he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucify, you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This church of Jerusalem that's going to be birthed here in the next verses before us, verses 41 to 47 specifically, it gives us a picture and to this day, 2,000 years later, I'd like to think that Harvest Baptist Church, membership of Harvest Baptist Church, like these of the church at Jerusalem, that they gladly received some things. I want to give you seven things that they gladly did this morning. Verse 41 as we begin. Then they that gladly received his word. They that gladly received his word. I'm preaching from the word of God this morning. And this word that he's talking about, what word specifically are they talking about? Well, we see it again in verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye crucified. He put the onus right where it belonged. Both Lord and Christ. And I want you to see this morning that, first of all, they, they all gladly confessed that Jesus was the Christ. When Peter and the apostles, they'd walked, those fishermen walked with Jesus for a period of three years early on, about, or about two years midway through, about thereabouts in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And I paraphrase, but some of the disciples said, apostles said, well, you, some say you're Elijah raised from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he zeroed in and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the spokesman, spoke up. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Your co-worker and your relatives maybe and friends that you have, they use that name Christ, Jesus, in profanity. They have no idea what they're saying. 
They have no idea of the power in that name. But these Jews, when they knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Bible says in the next verse, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? I want you to know that they gladly confessed every single member of this assembly, this called out assembly, this new church, every single one without exception. They all confessed that Jesus was the one that saves. The name Jesus, Yehoshua in the Hebrew language, Jesus in the Greek language, in the Romance languages, we have a version thereof. We say Jesus, 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 the name above all names, the name that saves. Jesus, that name means the angel came to Peter, or rather came to Joseph and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And when we couple Jesus with the Christ, the Jews, although we being ignorant, pardon me, ignorant Gentiles, most of us, the Jews understood exactly what this Peter was saying, propagating, that this Jewish fisherman was saying that Jesus is not only the, he's Jesus from Nazareth, as they knew him as, but they said he's Jesus the Christ. He's the anointed one of God. He's the one that can save. And he's the one that can save your soul today. The only one that can save your soul. He, he is the one that can save, but not only is he the only one that can save, but he's the only one. Key word. Jesus said on the last night of his betrayal, he said, I am the way, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to heaven, Jesus is our Savior. He is the Savior, not a Savior, the Savior. He's not a Lord, he is the Lord. He's not a King, he's the King of Kings. He's God Almighty, the greatest mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We believe that most surely amongst us. And again, I come back and I want you to know that this message was geared towards the membership of Harvest Baptist Church in 33 and a half years of pastoring I would fear that we have one member in any, any given year, any given time, or even right now in this present time, that would deny that Jesus is the Christ. You need to turn to your resignation, your, your membership uh, immediately, or better yet, you need to repent and receive Jesus as Savior. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you need not turn there, and Luke is the human writer of the book of Luke, of course, and the human author of the book of a writer, I should say, of the book of Acts as well. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. But Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. It says in Luke 1, 1, For as much as we have taken, many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed amongst us. I want you to know that like this church in Jerusalem, my prayer and my belief system is and my understanding is and I hope your understanding is that every single member of this assembly accepts the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one. He's, he's alone the Christ. He is the Savior of all saviors. There is no other. And if you want to add it to the list, you cannot make him be singular and be the way, the truth, and the life. He's, he's all Jesus and nothing more, nothing less. I was, had somebody in my office this past week and somebody I was witnessing to, they go to church. I'll leave the church unnamed that they go to. You would know the name of it if I said it to you. We'd all know the name of it. And we were talking about, I was asking him how he knew he was on his way to heaven. 
He gave, began to gave, gave me what well, I could summarize in about three or four words. It's a process. And he began to explain to me, well, you've got to believe, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to get baptized, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and you've got to hang on. And I said, so your faith system is all wrapped up in what you can do. He asked me how I'm going to, how I'm going to heaven. And he did, of course, rhetorically, and I said, I'm going to heaven for one reason and one reason only, one word and one word only, one name and one name only, and it's the name of Jesus. Jesus is Christianity. Jesus is salvation. Not of works which you have done, but according to his mercy has saved us. They all gladly confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice in the second part of the verse that these, this first New Testament church at Jerusalem started with the apostles and then went to the 120, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, I believe it is. Then we get to the 3,000 that we're going to get to later on in the text. But this new infant church that was birthed, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They all gladly publicly or proceeded to publicly identify themselves together with, with him in believer's baptism. Let me be as kind as I can be. And I'm, again, I'm humbled for the last time. I'll try to say this for the last time. Thank you. We got, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 visitors here this morning here. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, this, this is a Christian church first. I want you to know that. It's a Bible church. It happens to be a Baptist church. Yes, it's true. And please don't hold that against me or hold it against us. But this baptism that they all gladly confess is not a Baptist baptism. It's not a Catholic baptism. It's not a Methodist baptism. It's a Bible baptism they're talking about. This is a scriptural baptism. The word baptism is the Greek word baptizo. It's a transliteration like apostles, apostolos, angels, angelos, and on and on we could go. Many transliteration words that are not translated per se, but they're transliterated. But the word means, if you study it, and I've never had anybody contest that's honest, of any other persuasion. The word baptizo means to immerse or to, to, to dip. It never means to pour or to sprinkle. I'm just being biblically accurate. Check it out in the Strong's. Check it out in, with the Greek languages. Check it out with historians and theologians of any stripe and color. If they're, they're honest, they'll admit that. This baptism that they, they succumbed to was not the baptism of John the Baptist. This was a new baptism. This is baptism, first of all, identifying them with a person. When we baptize, we baptize, as Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Not names. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Great mystery, I admit it. I'm first to tell you. Greatest mystery of God is God was manifest in the flesh. Greatest mystery that we don't believe Christianity does not hold to three gods. We hold the one God manifested in three persons. You say, I can't explain that. Well, you can't explain water either, for that matter, can you? H2O, you can't explain that. It's the simplest of elements. How can we explain God? But he is, and he was, and always will be. There's the trinity of God, the triunity of God. Not three gods manifested, in, but one God manifested in three persons. Greatest mystery. Again, I admit that. It's a mystery. But I want you to know that when we baptize, we baptize not in... Identifying with the Trinity, but we identify with a person. If we were to turn to Romans 6, and I'm streamlining this so I can hurry along here, verses 3 to 5, look it up afterwards. The Bible says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now, don't humor me. Don't, don't patronize me. But if you believe that Jesus really did die on the cross, say amen. If you believe that he was buried and he rose again the third day, say amen. amen. That's a test of testimony to that fact that you believe he, was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Bible baptism is a baptism that pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It identifies with a, specifically with a person, and that person is none other than the, the person of Christianity, is Jesus Christ himself. But not only does it identify with a person, but according to the text, according to the Bible, it identifies not only with a, a person, but secondly, identifies you with a people. Notice what it says, verse 41. I take notes, and I'm not reading into the context, I'm taking out, drawing out what's there. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them, about 3,000 souls. Who's the them? Well, when we take time to go back to Acts chapter 1, we'd find out who the them was. We started off with the apostles, then 120, they went back to the upper room. They were all in one place, one accord, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And now this church goes from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And I want you to know that they're identified with a person. Let me do this quickly, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. In fact, let me just, just cut to the chase again. I have to for time's sake. I, I, I don't want to be offensive again to anybody. You can't be a member of this church if, you're not, if you don't get baptized in a scriptural way, in a scriptural manner. I'm, I know many of you have been, the vast majority of people, we, even within our church, many of you have been sprinkled as babies. I understand that. That's a church baptism. You don't find it in the Bible find it in the church. You say, how did, how, well, it's certainly in the Bible. After the service, please show it to me, please. I'd like to know where it's at. It's not there. It's what we call covenant theology. On the eighth day, Jews were to have their circum boys circumcised on the eighth day, not on the seventh, on the ninth day. They had to be on the eighth day. And in covenant theology, in some, most brands of covenant theology, well, we get baptized to identify, like the Jews identified with circumcision, we identify with baptism, and that's why you got sprinkled. I'm not saying there's wrong, anything wrong with it necessarily. I am saying it's not a biblical baptism. The baptism that we read about here and the baptism that Jesus Christ partook of was of that of immersion. You see, they all gladly, pardon me, I'm trying to make you happy today here. You have to what you did for me in this nice, nice uh, pastoral roast, I guess. You know, I want to be real kind to you, and I don't want to be harsh at all, but... I'm trying to tell you that the Bible says that these people here, the they of Acts chapter 2, they all gladly confessed that Jesus was the Christ. They all gladly were baptized, proceeded to be baptized in the name of a person, Jesus Christ, and to be identified with the people, the people of God. And if you love Jesus, you love his people, by the way. And then I want you to notice verse 42, please, as we hurry along. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Notice, thirdly, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That word doctrine, a fancy word for teaching. Didache. What I'm doing right now is I'm teaching doctrine. Some people say doctrine divides, love unites. No, doctrine unites. Where they all confessed the same thing about Jesus, that he was not just Jesus, he was the Christ. They all publicly identified with him in the belief system that he died, he was buried, and rose again. 
They all publicly believed with everybody else that publicly believed with them that wanted to specifically, pardon the phrase, come out of the closet and say, yes, I'm a child of God. And this church, this new doctrine, and again, I, for the last time I was saying that I have to do this quickly, but I have to do this quickly. They had New Testament doctrine. I'm not trying to be fresh or smart aleck when I say it, but we have two major divisions of our Bible. We have 39 books that comprise what's called the Old Testament. We have 27 books which are comprised the New Testament. There's a division there. There's an Old Testament that was written specifically, excuse me, for a group of people. This is not a racist statement. It's, not a, it's just a statement of truth. The first and foremost people that the Old Testament was written to were the Jewish people. The New Testament was written to his Gentiles or to his church. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Now there's this a loaded, you say, I know what I've said, by the way, and some of you are going right over your head, and in one way I want it to go over your head. But it's deep ramifications on this, real deep that affect world history and what you believe. But we are a New Testament church. This New Testament church that began with the apostles' doctrine. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, remember? The, only the priest could go in once a year, but he is our great high priest that entered in once to the Holy of Holy, once for all. A new dispensation, a new time change, and house rules changed. We call it this age of grace. And so this is the New Testament doctrine, but letter B on the worksheet. This apostle's doctrine included the doctrine of grace, not of works. What do you mean, preacher? Now, so there's no misunderstanding. Nobody ever got saved by keeping the law. It's not possible to keep the law, the Old Testament law. For whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, the Bible says he's guilty of all. Oh, you may not have murdered, but you've lied. You may not have committed adultery, but you've thought evil, evil thoughts. We're all guilty. And if we're guilty in one, we're guilty in all, the Bible tells us. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. This doctrine of grace, Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. I'm not a libertine, but I am under liberty. I have liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ. The Son therefore make you free, he shall be free indeed. Jesus, see, he paid it all. And so we have this, they, they were all gladly considered, I, just so there's no misunderstanding, well, I said it again. But so there's no misunderstanding. I accept all the Old Testament and it's all for my, my admonition. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. The Old Testament it teaches us many things. But this is a New Testament church. No longer do we, there's some activities that is in America that are uh, protected by the full extent of the law. I could go into a number of different things. In the Old Testament, some of those very things that are protected by our American government and our Constitution and our state law and so forth are uh, guilty of the death penalty in the Old Testament. We don't fight with sword, uh, little literal sword anymore. Our sword is the sword is the Word of God. And when we think of a sword, we usually think of a, a killing weapon, but a sword, you think of a surgeon's knife that can cut and give life. The word of God is quick, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and as joints of marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The apostles' doctrine, 
They gladly continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or those things which most surely believed amongst them. They had a change of mind, a repentance, a mententao. They, they changed what they thought about Jesus Christ. They changed what they thought about right and wrong. They changed about their system of morality to God's system of morality. They changed from self-law to God's law. And that's what they all did gladly, every one of them. We get to verse number 42, the latter, latter half of the verse. It says, once again, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and in prayers rather. Four distinct things. The commentator, the theologian, John Phillips, marked four things that marked the infant church. Truth, number one, the tie, the, the breaking of bread is referring to the Lord's Supper. The ta- or Pardon me, the fellowship there, and then the breaking of bread, that's the table. And then the throne, they all acknowledge that Jesus was the king. But I want you to notice, they all, fourthly, they all gladly and regularly remembered the Lord through the Lord's Supper. Oh, this is, this is, this is divisive. I, I, again, I don't want to be divisive. I just want to be instructive. I want you to see, would you read that with me, please, on the bottom of the unit, see you can know what these words are. You can see them. Let's try it together. Ready? This do in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's table is... The word of giving you thanks is the word Eucharist. Oh, many, so many different churches, so many different variants of communion, Lord's Supper. There are those that believe that some have the power, and maybe you believe that. I understand that there's many people that have been taught this way. It's called the doctrine of transubstantiation, that certain people have the power to turn a piece of bread into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you, you say, we don't believe that, I don't believe that. Maybe you go to a particular church and you say, we don't believe that. Check out and see if you believe that. Don't, don't take my word for it. Find out if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm lying to you. Transubstantiation. You see, they believe it's a sacrament. But there it says, just do in remembrance of me. Jesus gave those words. It's an ordinance. It's a command. It doesn't, doesn't have any sacrificial, meritorial cleansing. Some people feel that it can cleanse your soul. You can take communion. We take Welch's grape juice, to be honest with you, just being honest. We take the crackers, the, uh, what are those crackers called? We're, oh, well, you call them wafer. I don't know, but we, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to our membership. Saltine crackers, the round ones, right? Oysters, there we go. Now, I know, and I don't want to be silly and funny on something so serious, but at the same time, we're taking Welch's grape juice and crackers. Some say you're taking the blood and body of the Lord. Well, I know that he died on the cross. He gave his body, and he shed his blood for my sin, and that's true. That is absolutely absolutely, uh, what happened. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. See, the atonement was made at the cross of Calvary. He died once for all, never to have to die again. He's our Savior. So it's an ordinance, not a sacrament, letter B for the worksheet. It's a local church table, not a universal table. And then I need 10 minutes, but I have 12 seconds or so. Like baptism, they became part of the they in Acts chapter 2 because they got baptized 
identifying with Jesus Christ. Like Lord's Supper, they identified in the breaking of bread, they identified that they believed that Jesus Christ gave his body on the cross, that he shed his blood. And they do this, they, they did, and by the way, some say you have to do communion in every single service. I don't have a problem with that. We don't do that. We do our services at communion at night, and then occasionally there could be critiqued and so forth, and another day, another time, explain why we do it the way we do it. But I would never fault somebody for doing it every single service. But it should not become mundane. It should become a very serious opportunity to, uh, forced opportunity to get right with God. But these all continued. They all, they all partook of this. May make something very pertinent. If you're here as a member of Harvest Baptist and you purposely don't come on nights that we're having Lord's Supper, I don't want to say shame on you. I want to say examine your heart. I want you to not forsake assembling yourselves together as a matter of some it's Number five here, we must move forward. We've got a dinner to go to. Verse 44. And all that believed were together. Notice the commonality, the unity, the, the oneness. And had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. Fifthly, they all gladly chose to love and to care for one another. Not collectivism, but community. I have to run this few second rabbit trail. We have a republic. We do not have an oligarchy. We do not have a, uh, we don't have a socialist form of government, although we do. We have those in our powerful offices in America that want to tax the rich. 70% is not enough. Let's get 80% out of them. Let's get 90%. And, and you that don't follow the news, I mean, just, just help you. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. Just check this current events out. We have people that gladly applaud the richest company and corporation in the whole world. They're happy that they're not coming to their state. I'm talking about the state of New York. And they, they, they took it to the big man. And they're not going to let that filthy rich company come in. Now you can think of whatever you want on Amazon. They're, I'm sure they're wicked in, some way, in so many ways, but they provide a lot of jobs. And you people buy things from them. I know you do. That's why they're the richest company in the world. But we have people that say, we need forced collectivism. We want everybody to be poor. If I can just help you out for a minute. We have some that want America to be Venezuela. Now, I want you to understand this truth. This is not a communist church. This is not a socialist church. This is a free will church. This is nobody's going to ever ask you. I made one 65-second call the other day. We call it our robocalls or our calling post call. Mentioned we had a big need where we blindsided us, pardon the language again, and we had to do our septic system. I wasn't planning on spending nearly $12,000 on a septic system the last couple of weeks here and made one 65-second call, and not one single person was politic, not one single person was spoken to individually. God is my witness. And you people gave out of the free will, love of your heart. You gave what you wanted to give. Nobody coerced you. A local church 
is one that loves and cares for one another. Not forced collectivism or communism, but community. Not coercion, but compassion. And then fifthly, sixthly, quickly, supposed to be done now. 46. And they continued daily, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread, there's the fellowship, from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Notice the love, notice the, the company and the camaraderie. They all gladly continued to fellowship together and grow in the Lord together. There's a common misconception, I'm afraid, even with many Christians that say, I love the Lord, but I don't do church. Do you understand what you're saying? Christ died for the church. He shed his blood for the church. We're going to honor three couples that have been married for 60 years apiece here in a few minutes. There's a a love there. There's a reason they've stayed together for all these years. God has a purpose in what he's doing and God has a there's a fellowship a oneness and there's you want to be with the one you love you want to be one of the ones that love the Lord and so there's a together fellowship I wanted to turn to Hebrews 10 24 and 25 we won't there the Bible says not forsaking the assembling ourselves together but exhorting and so much more as you see the day approaching we now live in a day when you just turn on the TV and you get any televangelist you want Get any superstar preacher or preacherette or anybody you want, anybody flavor, any flavor you want, you can get, thanks to cable television, satellite, what have you. You don't have to come to church. That takes work. But these all, with one accord, they came to have fellowship, a together fellowship. And not only a together fellowship, but a together family. The Bible says we have gifts differing. We're all different, but we all come together to, like a body, for a specific purpose for, to function, as the head has called us to function, of course. But we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we're to do it together as a family. We sang this song, we'll sing it again to, this afternoon here, just a few minutes here, oh, half hour, whatever. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That leads me to the last and seventh thing. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, Well, I know that there's a lot of people that are very in our community and so forth around that Harvest Baptist Church and this preacher even has a good testimony to them. But that's not so with a lot of people. A lot of people think we're fanatical or we're strange or different or what have you. Pick your adjective, your modifiers, whatever. But they had favor with all the people for a time That changed after a while. If you read the rest of Acts, they started killing them. Just saying. But praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, notice the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. See, seventhly, they all gladly work together toward the addition of souls in the assembly. The church means, the word church is the word ecclesia, it means a called out assembly. They all work together to add souls to the assembly. Now, if you're here and you've not received Christ as your Savior, I, I, I don't expect you to understand and grasp what I'm going to say next. But 
The Lord is the one that adds the souls. The Lord, except the Lord work in your heart. And he has worked in your heart, and he's working in your heart, even right now as I speak. I have no doubt about it. But I will not persuade you to Jesus Christ. This church will not persuade you to Jesus Christ. But there is a Spirit of God. There's the Word of God. There's God himself. And it's Christ had died for your sins, not a pastor. It's Christ had died for us, not the church. He died for the church. You see, they all, well, I want you to understand that salvation is of the Lord, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's, I can see my own outline here. He adds, it's his work, it's his church. But this is another mystery I use, I call it a theanthropic union, a God-man union. But he works, mystery of all mysteries, through us. Romans 10, 14. I have many of you, I wasn't going to use this, but I guess it fits this morning. We'll, done, we'll be done with this. Thank you for putting up with me as a preacher. I preached this Wednesday at a college and I, I hate preaching out, I'll be honest with you. This preacher's way better than me and I know that. I don't say that humbly, I just say that factually. I understand that. And I just, uh, I'm amazed. I sit back here and I say to myself, what are you doing? You, don't have, you shouldn't have the privilege of speaking to these good people. Because I'm just like you. I'm a sinner too. I know my background. And by the way, it's a good one. <laughs> just want to plug for mom and dad in case they're listening in Ohio. Don't worry, they won't. They're not a computer. <laughs> But God uses us. Here's the mystery of all mysteries. Christ has no hands but our hands. No feet but our feet. And he has given us the privilege to give the gospel. I'm telling you, you're not going to be saved by Marty Schott persuasion or any other preacher's persuasion. You're not going to be saved by, if you're saved by a church or ism or a person other than Jesus Christ, you're saved by the wrong person. You've got to be saved by Christ. And he'll save, your, save you if you call upon him. Then they, they're glad to receive his word, were baptized. They're glad to receive what word? That Jesus was the Christ. They called upon him to save him. They got baptized. They, they followed through. But that, that, that was all after the fact. Because for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves as the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But they... Of Acts chapter 2 should be the day that they of Harvest Baptist Church. May we all in one accord agree with happiness and gladness of heart. All these things with singular purpose and singular belief. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, forgive me for being so kindness in a time. 
And I made the joke, Lord, we've got a lunch to go to. Now we're over time. But maybe we're just over our time. Lord, maybe it's, this is your time. He said, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Holy Spirit of God, now do what you can only do in the heart and lives of anyone here that needs to receive Christ as their Savior. Lord, although this message was for Christians, specifically members of this assembly, I pray for those that are, might be here that are not saved or maybe, maybe a member of this assembly but not saved. Oh, God, I pray for them that they would come to know Christ as Savior before it's too late. To be a member of Harvest Baptist Church and not be a member of heaven would be a terrible thing. Lord, uh, give conviction of heart and spirit, we pray. Save those that need to be saved today. Lord, bless, Lord, with the membership of this assembly. Have your will and way as we turn our eyes upon Jesus this morning. And Lord, uh, we'll thank you for it. Lord, we pray, uh, may we come just as we are without one plea. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymn book and turn to that famous invitation song.